The following program was made possible by the generosity of those who have determined to hold fast to the true Roman Catholic religion, as expounded by the Roman Catholic Church before the disasters of Vatican II and the so-called New Mass. Welcome to What Catholics Believe. I'm your host, Thomas Nagley, and with me tonight is Father William Jenkins from the Society of St. Pius V and Pastor of Immaculate Conception Church in Norwood, Ohio. Hello, Father. How are you? Hello, Tom. How are you there? Good, Father. Recently, it's, been, it's been, been brought to my attention that uh, it might be beneficial for us to mention some of the other chapels that you that you service. You know, I, I mentioned mm -hmm. that you're the Pastor of Immaculate Conception here in, in Norwood, mm -hmm. but there's also several other chapels that you offer Mass at throughout the country. Could you fill us in oh, on, yes. on that? Well, Father Grinnell and I uh, live in Cincinnati, insofar as we live anywhere, I guess. Uh, we have a residence in Cincinnati where we have Immaculate Conception Church and the Academy. And um, we we both uh, fly from there to other missions. Uh, we go to St. Teresa's, uh, St. Teresa of the Child Jesus in the Parma area of Cleveland, and um, also Our Lady of Peace Chapel in Boynton Beach, Florida, and also other chapels too, St. Hilary's in uh, the Brooklyn area of Baltimore, and uh, we have uh, uh, service chapels in upstate Michigan as well. Um, in fact, uh, uh, perhaps we ought to simply uh, post on the on the website a list of those chapels for those who might tune in from those areas. They'd probably be very happy to know that there are traditional mass, real traditional mass chapels in the area. Sure. Uh, so I'll, I'll look into that and talk to our our techie tech <laughs> people we can do that. to get that done yeah. again. Um, so uh, we're also going to Chicago. Um, and I'll we'll give that, that information sure. uh, to you so we can post that. Sure. Thank you, Father. Very, very good. Actually, one of, the, uh, one of the members of the church in Boynton Beach, Florida, Our Lady of Peace, specifically asked us to mention the chapel there. So I thought it would be good if we mentioned the others, too. But it would be helpful if we uh, put it in writing and actually had it on the screen so people can we'll get that. the information. Yeah. Thank you, Father. Sure. Uh, all right, Father, the first, first question tonight we've had for some time now, so I'd, I'd like to get to this, where a viewer has asked about the, um, the fact, at least are we, uh, we are told, she writes, that Pope uh, John Paul II brought a portion of the remains of St. Peter to Fatima, and that they are now encased beneath the main altar in the new monstrosity basilica dedicated to the Most Holy Trinity at Fatima. Uh, and she wants to know if there are, uh, could be some kind of connection between this act of John Paul II and the third secret of Fatima. Uh, she writes here that, that some are saying that the, undis the undisclosed part of the third secret of Fatima indicates that the true pope will flee Rome in the midst of the collapse of the faith and the rise of the false church, and that the true pope will reside in Fatima at least for a time, which is one aspect of what is meant by the third, uh, the third <coughs> secret of Fatima and uh, that the dogma of faith will be preserved in Portugal. Because John Paul II knew the real contents of the third secret, which we still do not know, he had the remains of St. Peter brought to Fatima for just such a purpose. Comments on that, Father? Well, I just discovered, actually, um, that it wasn't any relic of St. Peter. No remains of St. Peter were taken to Fatima. 
but rather a part of the tomb of St. Peter. Now, even then, uh, when we're talking about a part of the tomb, we're talking about basically a piece of masonry. When one goes to Rome, one can make what is called the uh, tour of the, of the excavations through the necropolis to um, what are generally referred to as the scavi, S-C-A-V-I, to the tomb of St. Peter, the place where St. Peter was buried on the night that he was martyred, in fact, or the the day he was martyred, his remains were taken up the uh, Vatican Hill and uh, buried there as the evening hours were setting on them and the sun was going down. Um, they buried St. Peter's body. And so later on, Constantine was to build the first St. Peter's Basilica directly over that spot. The high altar of St. Peter's, the original high altar, was right over the body of St. Peter. And so the basilica you see now, which was completed in the 1620s, uh, is not the same configuration as the original. And yet, the, again, the main altar, the high altar, is directly over the remains of St. Peter. In fact, the high altar is directly over the altar of, of uh, Constantine, which is directly over the remains of St. Peter. So from somewhere there, uh, perhaps down from the excavations, uh, a part of the masonry was taken uh, to Fatima and uh, was going to be used uh, as part of the cornerstone, somehow incorporated into the cornerstone of this new monstrosity, as she aptly calls it, uh, that they built in Fatima. Um, so, um, whether that has any connection with the third secret of Fatima, I don't know of any. Uh, I don't know that I would be aware if there were any connection. I don't, I don't see what the connection would be. Uh, the dear lady mentions the possibility of uh, a troop of fleeing from the Vatican and taking refuge in Fatima. And I guess she's tying that together with Our Lady's words um, during the July apparition, a- apparition in 1917, that the dogma of the faith would always be preserved in Portugal. Um, so perhaps she understood that or uh, understands that, or perhaps there are those who are saying that that's why a true pope would flee to Portugal because the dogma of faith would always be kept there. I, I assume that's the connection that is being made there. But uh, we have to understand what that means. The dogma of faith will always be kept in Portugal. Our Lady was uh, predicting the annihilation of nations. And that is not only the uh, physical annihilation, but the actual, not the geopolitical annihilation only, but even the spiritual annihilation. That there will be a massive loss of faith, even what St. Paul refers to as the great apostasy. But that Portugal would never entirely lose the faith. It doesn't mean that Portugal will always be a Catholic nation with a Catholic government with Catholic laws. But that uh, portion, uh, that, that uh, Portugal is one area of the world where the faith would always endure. You know, it would still survive there. Um, so, you know, whether a troupe would, would uh, flee to Portugal for that reason, I don't know that that is a part of the prophecy of Fatima. So I can't say what, that it wouldn't be the case, but I certainly can't say it would be. Mm-hmm.
Uh, Father, the, the same viewer says that they actually visited Fatima uh, fairly recently mm-hmm. and, and noted some of the, uh, just the terrible things that are going on there with, 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 this, this, with this basilica. She says that uh, people who live in Fatima tell me that the new basilica was largely built with dollars from the Masonic political base in Portugal, mm-hmm. which is why it is not a place of reverence, but much more like a large warehouse for gathering people and a sacred space for prayer. And sadly, of course, only the Novus Ordo liturgy is offered there. The, quote, Blessed Sacrament is nowhere to be found in the main worship area. I attended one Sunday liturgy this summer just to see what it was like. It was a carnival. The, abs- the absence of reverence made to uh, made the whole event ab- abhorrent. People were dressed like they were at the beach, and the clergy had themselves enthroned at the top of the basilica in very high, in very high chairs behind the, quote, altar. If St. Peter's remains are there, what a mockery indeed. What a mockery indeed, yeah. yeah. Well, uh, what would be the benefit of having uh, remains of St. Peter there if the Blessed Sacrament itself is not present there? And under the circumstances, you know, you, you, would, you would never assume that the Blessed Sacrament was present there. You'd have to, you'd have to be convinced it's not. Mm-hmm. If they would countenance this behavior... Um, and uh, have the new mass there. Uh, then, clearly, I mean, the, the place is what it what it appears to be. It's an empty, just a big empty blank space. And perhaps that's that's best. I mean, you wouldn't want the Blessed Sacrament to be present there and subjected to the, the sacrilege that they put it through. I mean, some people ask you sometimes. I think the Novus Ordo is is invalid, and I tell them, I hope it is invalid. I hope it is. Because if it is not invalid, then our Lord is being subjected to the most horrendous sacrileges imaginable at the Novus Ordo. I mean, even the handing out of the host and the particles of people walking all over the place, where they're, you know, walking over the particles of the very host that they're receiving, however devoutly they may be, you know, uh, receiving or thinking they are, um, they, they are, in fact, walking all over the particles of the host. There's no care is being taken for that. So, uh, you know, if for the sake of sparing our Lord the sacrileges inherent in the Novus Ordo, I hope it is invalid. I think it's very, it's awful, it's, it's an evil that it would be invalid, but it would be a greater evil if it were valid and our Lord were there to be mocked and ridiculed and again spat upon, crowned with thorns and, and so on. So, um, you know, in a, in a so-called church, what, what makes that a church? But we should be grateful again that it is bare and empty and totally without any inspiration. Because if they were to fill it with images, it would be even worse. Because the images that they, they fill their spaces with are often very ugly and twisted. And, uh, and uh, well, she uses the word abhorrent. If you look at the so-called art of Paul VI, you see that he had a real... Um, a taste for ugliness. Um, he was really smitten with ugliness. And uh, virtually everything he touched, he, he turned to just the most foul-looking, uh, abhorrent, so-called art. And um, you uh, that's what you'd be seeing in that basilica right now if they thought enough to adorn it 
They they actually did, Father. The, this viewer notes that, that there actually are uh, many images there of Our Lady and of the Lord that are actually blasphemous. Oh, she, okay. She says, yes, that's right. And, and that, they actually right. said that uh, oh. that her and um, apparently more than uh, or other people uh, have uh, sent letters to mm. the bishop, uh, even the cardinal patriarch of the mm. area there, and uh, there, there's been no response mm -hmm. whatsoever over any of this, even though mm -hmm. after they've seen all these blasphemous images and everything going on there, they had no, no response from the Novus Ordo. Mm -hmm. Well, they often design these things, their artworks and their spaces, uh, actually to be hideous, mm -hmm. to be repulsive, um, and they're often designed by atheists or uh, those who actually have a hatred for Christ. Uh, these are the people they're commissioning to do their artworks. These are the people they're commissioning to build their buildings. Yeah, yeah she said that she believes they're, they're funded by a Masonic political base there, mm -hmm. so mm -hmm. it makes sense. Right, right. And, you know, the fact that they find these places inspiring to them says a great deal about the condition of their souls. There's, there's no beauty here. In fact, they reduce these things to the condition of our, sort of mirroring the condition of our Lord when he was uh, covered with wounds, when he was stripped, and uh, when his body was hanging lifeless on the cross, covered with blood and spit. This is pretty much what they're, they're uh, reducing their modern churches to, uh, kind of it an image of Christ when they have finished with him and what they've done to him. Mm -hmm. It's kind of an outward display, an outward representation of the atrocities they're committing against our Lord in the Blessed Sacrament. Mm -hmm. Well, Father, sticking with, with uh, Fatima, we received an email from, from a viewer who would like to know if you could give a little background on the five first Saturdays mm -hmm. and specifically why Our Lady requested the five first Saturdays and why wouldn't it be uh, nine, like the first Fridays, or seven in honor of her seven sorrows. So what, what exactly is, is the significance between the five first Saturdays? Why five? I don't know. I mean, we think of the five precious wounds, most precious wounds, the five principal wounds struck in our Lord. We think of the five decades of each mystery, of the rosary. Um, you know, one can, one can come up with uh, five... The number five, numerous times to say the scripture. They actually they, representing. They they provide a, a quote here, Father, I believe from uh, from Sister Lucia, where she said mm. that um, that when our Lord uh, appeared to her, they she kind of asked him that question about the the five first mm. Saturdays, and they were talking about that, and it was perhaps suggested that the five first Saturdays were in reparation for five different types of offenses mm. against the Blessed Mother. So, for example, yeah. uh, blasphemies or, or, or um, insults against her perpetual mm. virginity or her immaculate heart or, or things like that. And she wanted to know mm. if that could possibly be... Well, it could very well be because, in fact, I was just going to say when you when you spoke up there that the important thing to do would be to find out if Sister Lucy herself commented on that. Yeah. And if our Lord gave any reason for that. So, there you are. There you are. <laughs> and uh, it is a fact that there are five... When Our Lady asks for reparation, when Our Lord asks for reparation for the sins committed against Our Lady's Immaculate Heart, these are insults against God because Our Lady's Immaculate Heart is His work. It's His, it's his master work. So uh, what they call is Magnum Opus, Our Lady's Immaculate Heart. And there are, in fact, five classes of sins that are 
uh, specifically mentioned to, for which we must make represent reparation to the offenses committed against Our Lady's Immaculate Heart, which offend our Lord so much. Um, and so that could very well be also that the five first Saturdays correspond to that. Um, I, I would say that that is a very plausible, very likely uh, fact. But, uh, you know, as far as the Saturdays, I mean, we know why Saturdays were chosen. We've talked about that before. Because uh, Saturday was the day, uh, Holy Saturday, our Lord's body was in the tomb, and Our Lady was the only faithful soul on earth who still believed. Uh, her faith was entirely intact, even when the apostles uh, were doubting and questioning. Um, Our Lady was the sole faithful person on earth who still retained the faith. So we honor her by the Saturdays of every year, uh, throughout the year. And um, the, uh, you know that the devotion, what the devotions are required. By the way, Tom, you know, there are those who were suggesting that Our Lady originally was asking for eight Saturdays. Um, so I've, I've heard people insisting that uh, the, the documentation shows that Our Lady originally wanted eight Saturdays, <clears throat> and uh, then somehow it was adulterated to five. So the church or Our Lady somehow negotiated down to five. <laughs> I guess I don't know what the thought is on that. I've never seen any evidence to show that Our Lady requested eight, eight Saturdays, eight first Saturdays rather than five. And so I'm very curious that anybody would claim this, but I guess there are those who have to sort of distinguish themselves by finding something unique and different that shows that everybody else is on the wrong track and they alone are on the right track. I, I guess. I don't know what's motivating them. Um, but the church itself has uh, specified five first Saturdays for our Blessed Lady uh, with the re devout reception, worthy reception of our Lord and Holy Communion and uh, praying the five decades of the Rosary and meditating for 15 minutes on the passion and suffering of our Lord, passion and death of our Lord. Um, and in doing so, Our Lady made some wonderful promises for those who are, would keep that devotion, be, be uh, devoted to her sacred heart, to her immaculate heart. It might seem strange to refer to Our Lady's heart as a sacred heart, but uh, actually in the, um, in the church history, we find uh, the expression, the sacred hearts of Jesus and Mary. And that is not uh, to be wondered at, because as I mentioned before, uh, when our Lord was first conceived, uh, Mary's heart was his heart. He had no heart of his own until his heart was fully formed and began beating. And, uh, Mary shared her heart with him, and uh, uh, her heart was his heart too. So uh, to see a, a close bond between them, such that the church in her history would sometimes refer to the sacred hearts of Jesus and Mary as they're united, uh, that is uh, not only correct from a biological point of view, from our Lord's uh, earliest days here on earth, <clears throat> but even from a theological point of view, because... Uh, the heart representing it, what it does, her will. You know, she is the seat of wisdom, and wisdom is the gift that enables a person 
will to be completely united uh, with the will of God. And that is absolutely true of Our Lady. So um, it's certainly not forbidden to think of her heart being that united with the heart of our Lord. <clears throat> so in any case, um, I'm, I'm glad that question came up, and I'm glad you said what you said, because I think that uh, that spells it out pretty well. Sure. Well, <clears throat> Father, let's change topics here, because we've, we've had this email for six months or so now, uh, where this, this viewer says that YouTube is certainly a mixed blessing, but it has enabled us to see all of the What Catholics Believe programs from the early 1990s until today. There's tremendous theological firepower with Kelly, Jenkins, and Sanborn. This last is a sensitive. This this last is a sensitive issue. I've always been curious about the program's origin and initial conceptual process. What's the history of what Catholics believe, Father? Oh my! In twenty-five <laughs> words or less. Right. <laughs> well, early early in the nineteen eighties, it just occurred of all people to me, which just goes to show, show that God can use even the beasts of the earth to accomplish things, but. Anyway, it just occurred to me that it would be a good idea to have some kind of a media out outreach to people, something that people have access to, who um, are looking for the traditional faith. They have the traditional faith out there, but they don't know what to do. They're lost. They're engulfed in the modern world and the modernist world. And uh, to try to uh, find a voice that would pierce the darkness and get out to them, like, like St. John the Baptist. And so um, some early parishioners, some parishioners from Cleveland actually got together. And uh, some you'll see um, on the scene from the earliest shows. <clears throat> Others actually not. They're, they're behind the scenes. Um, even in the studio, you know, in some cases running, directing the cameras and all the rest. That's when we're actually using a usual, an actual professional studio. And um, so back in those early days, to produce the shows uh, was not that difficult, actually, uh, just to get together and start talking. Uh, <coughs> the, the real work was done by our uh, commentator of the day, who prepared well, uh, came up with some very good questions, had some excellent commentary himself. And um, we would try to get than other talent in. I mean, some shows were done just with myself uh, as the interviewee. And then occasionally we'd have Father Sanborn, we'd have uh, Father uh, Kelly at that time, Father Kelly. We'd have uh, some, Father Roshka was on, I think. Uh, I don't Father, know. I think Father we had Father, Father Bomberg was on, Father, Father uh, Skirky. I think Father Greenwell was on too. Yes. And then we'd have some outside talent as well. Um, uh, Father John O'Connor. Mm -hmm. As a matter of fact, I think the program with Father John O'Connor is the, the most highly viewed program of all uh, through all the years. And uh, then uh, Pat Buchanan was on the program a couple of times. And uh, Paul Fisher. There were some uh, pretty notable figures who came on the show. And um, that, those were rather, I guess, high-tech glitzy productions compared to... Uh, our uh, humble circumstances, but um, then we would, of course, have to find a, a venue in order to broadcast the show. And sometimes we had to go with public public access that would be local, 
local markets would get public access, but then you know you'd be you'd be standard sandwiched in between some programs that were a little bit uh, marginal, shall we say, um, edgy, um, objectionable in part or in, in whole. Um, so that was uh, certainly not the ideal situation. Uh, for a while, we could afford uh, broadcast on black entertainment television, BET, and we were finally priced out of that market. I guess uh, our presence there launched them into a higher level, <laughs> so we priced ourselves right out of the market. And um, so um, eventually we, we found that uh, uh, it was just impossible to, to uh, uh, come up with the revenue necessary to stay on. Uh, cable television and uh, so with the advent of the internet here we found another venue and uh, the program was off the air for a few years I think it was airing locally in various areas but it was not a broadcast uh, uh, through any national market but uh, again getting an internet uh, channel has changed all of that. Now we can do the show. And there are costs involved, and we do need people to contribute. Uh, it certainly does involve um, debts that we, we owe, we must, must pay. So we do need people's support. But um, it's much more uh, feasible for us now to go on the, the internet and to be accessible in such a way that people can at any time, virtually anywhere in the world, where they can get an internet signal, can draw up any a number of uh, any of 500, almost 500 different programs right now. Um, so um, you know we are very grateful to God for giving us this opportunity and enabling us to take it. I'll tell you, the, the key has been good people who are willing to do the technical work necessary to make this happen. And, uh, you know, we have good people who volunteer their services. No one's paid to do what they're doing. Um, so the good news is that we could double or triple your salary overnight. I'll take it. Easily, you know, without any hesitation. Um, because it all must to zero anyway, as you know. But, uh, but there are costs. There are equipment costs and... Uh, and um, other costs that are involved. So we, we have people who are willing to do some research for us and come up with uh, uh, you know some very interesting information that we can share with the uh, with the viewers. And uh, of course, the people run the run the cameras and you know record everything and then edit it and and I guess upload it or download it or whatever they do, um, and uh, actually get it on the air. So, and then there's yourself. So, I appreciate your giving the time and effort also. No problem. Father, I believe I've heard that, uh, that Bishop Mendez was involved in the, in the early stages of what Catholics believe. I believe I heard that he was a supporter of the Actually, he was one of the early, yes. Yeah, he, he was on board with it. He, uh, he was a type of, uh, of uh, prelate who would see the value and the power of it. Mm-hmm. And uh, so he uh, was a great encourager for what Catholics believe, no doubt about it. And by the way, uh, you know, over the years, 
Uh, well, this this internet station, for example, we've got uh, www.wcbohio.blogspot.com, and then we have the internet channel itself, you, which you go on YouTube, I guess it is. Yep. And what do you what do you check? Just WCB Ohio. WCB Ohio. Okay. And then we have the um, email address WCB Ohio dot or at at gmail dot com. WCB Ohio at gmail dot com. Okay. You see how savvy I am about this stuff. Um, for those who want, would want to send an email to us, we'd be happy to hear from you. Um, and, and just the internet program. When we started on the internet here with these, uh, putting these programs on the internet, we have a gentleman in Ohio who actually recorded all the old programs onto uh, DVDs, not CDs, right? DVDs. And uh, a gentleman here who actually began to put them onto YouTube. And I'm immensely grateful, grateful to those uh, fellows who just took it upon themselves out of the goodness of their hearts and their industry. And I'm sure a love for our Lord to make that happen because it's out of that effort that uh, this, this grew. And so we started with perhaps getting 150, 200 views uh, for a, a video. In the earlier videos we were producing here, but now that's going up to a thousand or more, which for us is not bad because we don't advertise. I guess it's really just word for mouth and what people share with each other, too. So, uh, again, the viewers have a lot to do with the success of what Catholics believe insofar as they are willing to uh, do, in a sense, the advertising for us, that they're willing to share with others the fact that we're here. And what I'd like them to do is I'd like them to use it as an apologetic source. I'd like them to think about all the people they know who need answers, who are interested in, in hearing these things. People at work, people at school, uh, people at their uh, the marketplace with them, uh, or people they meet on the street. You know, Some of their own relatives might ask them the question, well, what about angels, or what about original sin, or what's become a purgatory, or whatever, you know. Or even voicing concerns about the Novus Ordo. You know, they're suddenly realizing there might be something wrong, wrong with it somewhere. And uh, those who are, uh, are watching what don't Catholics believe can be familiar with the programs enough to say, I know there's a program on what Catholics believe that would answer that question. So I'm going to, and I guess you can do that, single out that program and send people a link to that program. Yes. And... Uh, and they can, they can then be invited to watch that as an answer to their question. Mm -hmm. So why not use the resource that's there? Yeah. Um, so many times people are, are asked questions uh, and they don't know the answers, but uh, they, they know they can find the answers in various places, and one of those places would be what Catholics believe. And, you know, Father, you mentioned our, our view counts going up on a lot of our videos, and, and as far as the emails that we've received, We've uh, received emails from literally all over the, the entire world. We have uh, several, uh, at least at least uh, several faithful viewers from Australia that email and uh, on, a, on a regular basis. We've received emails from Belgium, Germany, Switzerland, Holland, uh, France, just many all, all kinds of countries all, all over the world. So we, we literally yeah. literally have a, a worldwide. <clears throat> 
Now, are these emails? Now I'm going to start asking you a question. <laughs> are these emails that are emails of encouragement, or do they have questions? Both, both. Okay. Yeah. So, where are the where are the questions from Holland and Belgium and uh, we, Australia? We've answered a lot. Oh, have we really? Already, yeah. Oh, look at that. Yeah. Oh, I thought they'd be in Dutch. <laughs> we have we have received uh, actually more than one email in, in uh, various different languages. Is that right? Yeah, that we've had to translate. Yeah. Okay, you've had them translated? Yeah. Well, Google Translate. Yeah. <laughs> oh, well, I see. I thought you had mine. You have lots of talents. Uh, how about Ireland? Uh, not that I know. Okay, I've received a couple of letters from Ireland, okay. which I have to respond to. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, but that's that's good to know. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So uh, anything from the Arab world, so to speak? Not that I know. Of. Okay. No, not that I know. Of. Okay. Well, we have to start uh, <laughs> uh, trying to break into that market yeah. too, I guess, as they say. Yeah. <clears throat> okay. Well, good to know. Tom. Yeah. Definitely, definitely. Well, I think that's a good Anything thing. Anything from the Vatican? <laughs> no, not from Germany, no. I don't, I don't I think I thought we, Francis might write with a question. I don't think we'd want to, we'd want to read what they had to say about us, Father. Oh, I see. I thought Francis would write to see if we're open for the surprises of the Spirit. Yeah, I guess not. We haven't gotten invited to any of the, uh, the ecumenical services. Oh, really? We, no, we haven't. Oh, okay, nothing, okay. Nothing. Well, I see that the Vatican now has, has uh, issued a stamp, an official Vatican stamp commemorating the 500th anniversary of Martin Luther's attack on the Catholic faith. Yep. I can see why Francis would find that something to celebrate. And they have uh, on the stamp, uh, at the foot of uh, our Lord crucified, right, they have Luther and they have Melanchthon, one of the, another one of the Protestant reformers, right, so-called, who denied, absolutely denied the real presence of our Lord in the Blessed Sacrament. So I can see why Francis would put him there. And at the foot of the cross, and uh, you know, and you look, if you look at the stamp, you think, well, I mean, this is kind of peculiar. You have the the image of our Lord crucified there, and it, under the under the cross, you have Luther and Melanchthon. And which one is supposed to be the Blessed Mother, and which one is taking the place of Saint John the Apostle? You know, what's going on here? What are they doing there? You know, instead of our Lord, uh, instead of our Blessed Mother and Saint John the Apostle, they put Luther and Melanchthon down there. What, what, a, what, a, what an atrocity that is. And, um, I mean, what Luther wrote about our Lord on the cross, how, I mean, he literally became sin on the cross. Um, and Melanchthon, with, with his uh, you know, vicious attacks on the real presence of the Blessed Sacrament. I mean, these men, we talked about what St. Paul said, they are enemies of the cross of Christ. You know? So, you know, they're made to look very pious there, as though they belong there. But they're not in the place of the Blessed Mother and St. Joseph. I mean, they're taking the place of the high priests and the Romans who crucified our Lord. That's what they're doing there. And of course, the Vatican issuing a, uh, a stamp uh, to commemorate that is, is, uh, is outrageous. It's, it's a statement that we have to... We have to say, really, is 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 a very powerful um, rejection of the Catholic faith. Mm -hmm. What else could you say? And you know, Father, I think in our, I think I believe it was our last program where we had a, a viewer email us about this uh, ecumenical service they were having in right. in, in uh, Montana, I think, mm -hmm. where these Novus Ordo Catholics and the uh, Lutherans were going to celebrate their theological agreements, and it, it's <coughs> it's sad but true that 
this Francis's church has more in common with Lutherans and mm-hmm. Protestants than they do with actual traditional Catholics mm-hmm. like ourselves. It's, it's sad, yes. but true. Well, actually, Luther would probably be appalled at some of the things that Francis has going in his modernist church. Luther himself would probably be denouncing some of the outrageous goings-on in the, the New Order Church of Francis. Um, so, um, you're, you're right, it, it, is, it is outrageous to see this happening, but you know, um, the more overt, the more um, open they are about it, hopefully the more people will wake up and recognize it for what it really is. Hopefully. I just hope and pray that they will. Um, they, they can only make excuses for so long. I mean, if people are living with the contradiction of having the, still the true faith in their, in, their, in their hearts and their souls and facing the religion of modernism that is this Novus Ordo, uh, you know, one, if one lives with a contradiction like that after a while, something has to give. They're going to lose their faith. Or they're going to recognize that the religion they're practicing uh, is the New Order religion of modernism. And it is not the religion that is the practice of, the, of their actual Catholic faith. And that's where they have to find the, the real traditional Catholic faith again. And that's one of the reasons, that is the major reason why we have what Catholics believed, to enable people to find that, mm-hmm. find their way through the darkness of this and the stench of this world back to the Catholic religion. You know, Father, actually, just, just today from a coworker, I heard, a, heard a, a very sad story of, uh, of how he... This this he's an older man. He he grew up Catholic, was raised traditional Catholic, uh, attended a traditional Catholic academy for his whole his whole childhood. But uh, during his his latter years, right before he he graduated, I believe it was eleventh or twelfth grade, he uh, I guess this was around the time of, of Vatican II, and he said one of the the uh, nuns that he had there, Sister Mary Agnes, I, I think her name was, how she uh, one day came into class and told them as far as the the Bible was concerned, that it was all made up, that it was just stories to kind of keep kids in line and all of this. And it just kind of blew him away to hear that from such an authoritative figure in his life. And he said ever after that, he just kind of gave up on the Catholic Church, the Catholic religion, because he he, he thought, well, this this can't be right. This doesn't make sense. You know, they're just, they're doing all this just to scare us into being good. And uh, this has been probably... 50, 50 years ago, mm-hmm. and ever since that time, he, he has been away from the Catholic Church. But he said, actually, just recently at a Halloween party he attended, he saw this same sister, Mary Agnes, who was there. And um, he kind of went up at to her. At a Halloween party. A Halloween party. He, he said, Well, he, that's a horror. He, he went up to her and kind of uh, said, You know, Sister Mary Agnes, is that is that you? And she kind of gave him this look of horror and said, Don't you ever call me by that name again. Right. Ran away from him and we got avoided him like the plague the rest of the night. Wouldn't, wouldn't talk to him mm-hmm. at all. But uh, it's been 50 years, he said, since that. that it's interesting he would recognize her. That's right. Yeah. You know, um, and so she she avoided him. Yeah, mm-hmm. what a tragedy! Huh? Yeah. Uh, what did she want to be called now? Beelzebub or what? <laughs> she was she was partying it up with her friends. So. She was whooping it up with her friends. Right? Yeah. Did she have a costume on? Hey, nowadays she could have worn a nun's out to have it as a costume, <laughs> right? True. But uh, she wouldn't be caught dead in that, I'm sure. Yeah. Uh, interesting that he recognized her. Yeah, you know, we we had a, a a religious sister in our school back in since in, in Fort Lauderdale who was known to be extremely strict, and she was uh, uh, 
she probably had many of the kids terrified. Um, because she was uh, seemed to be rather in ill humor and um, not just strict, but grumpy, you know. <laughs> and uh, and um, so I graduated from there eventually. Mm-hmm. And uh, years later, not that many years later, maybe five, six years later, I was back in Fort Lauderdale and I was teaching. Um, and uh, I encountered this... <clears throat> I encountered her at uh, some kind of a teacher's conference, okay? And this woman came up to me, uh, it was easily in her 60s at that time. We never, you know, they were kind of ageless when they were wearing the habit. <clears throat> but this woman, I, I would guess now to be in her 60s, uh, came bounding up to me as much as she could bound. <clears throat> and she said, uh, she, you know, called me by my name, you know, and I, I didn't have any idea who she was. Then she said, well, don't you recognize me? And I said, well, no, I don't, I don't think I ever met you before. She said, well, I'm Phyllis. And then she said, oh, you'd know me by my religious name. And then she told me it was this, this sister, you know. Well, I'll tell you, uh, she's still kind of scary, but not for the same reasons. I mean, this was uh, a tremendous transformation. She was wearing a rather <clears throat> a, a yellow flowered dress at the time, which was, I would, I would say, rather ostentatious. And um, a very bubbly, sort of like the put-me-down sort of, you know, like, okay, you know, I, get, <laughs> I get your enthusiasm. But um, when, I, when I saw her there, I thought, well, she's, she's really lost everything that meant anything, you know, she's, uh, now it's all a matter of, um, the world and the things of the world, and, um, I, you know, there's no, no vestige of religious life there anymore, you know, consecrated, consecrated life to the Lord, certainly, certainly so the world. You know, when these, uh, <clears throat> priests and nuns began to cast off uh, the uniforms, as it were, of their consecration, the habits and the uh, uh, the cassocks and so on. They they tried secular dress, but you could still always tell that they were erstwhile religious, trying on secular dress because of the frumpy way they looked. They had absolutely no sense of um, how to how to look the part. Mm-hmm. Of being worldly, and so uh, maybe now they're a lot more worldly savvy than they were. I notice in traveling now, I never see anyone with a Roman collar, but I know from past experience that there are, there are modern priests, there are Novus Ordo priests on the, on the place I go, and sometimes they come up and they introduce themselves, you know, with their polo shirts and all the rest. But you, you never see, uh, uh, you hardly ever see religious sisters traveling in religious garb. But uh, it's been a long, long time since I've seen any, uh, except for an occasional, you know, uh, traditional priest. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> um, to see any of the Novus priests wearing any kind of insignia of their religion. They just don't, don't want to be known. <clears throat> So, um, yeah, the, the religion, uh, the faith is being put to death. 
in the minds of the people. I, I think it was Pew Research just came out with a study that showed in England um, um, the, the question was how many of the people of England, I think this was a general um, survey of the population, I don't think it was just limited to Christians, or maybe it was, but it might have been just limited to Christians actually. How many put any value or think that the different commandments, commandments 1 through 10, still apply? And uh, I think the commandments about treating your neighbor like not killing your neighbor, not uh, stealing from your neighbor, still came in right up there. About 85, 90% of people thought that those commandments still apply. I mean, that's, that's already scary enough that one in 10 <laughs> thinks it doesn't apply anymore to say that shall not kill. But after all these years of abortion, yeah, I imagine there are people who find, think that way. But when it got to the commandments about God, <clears throat> I am the Lord thy God, thou shalt not have false gods before me, uh, thou shalt keep holy the Lord's day, the third commandment, thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain, second commandment. Uh, the percentages were down like about 20%, maybe 21 maybe 17%, something like that. The percentages for those commandments about how uh, the number of people in England, I think maybe just Christians, who thought that those commandments still had any value or any, any uh, moral force to be applied was pathetically small. And they had to do with how we, uh, as it were, treat God. You know? So that's, that's a pretty serious indication of what has happened to faith in England. Mm-hmm. And it's the Nova Sona. Yeah. The Water has done this. <clears throat> So, um, anyway, um, yeah, the anecdote you, you told is very... Yeah. Yes. Well, Father, is there any kind of happy note that we can end on after all these sad stories? Well, we're here <laughs> after all this time. The faith is still alive and well. There are people who are finding their way back. They're, they're finding their way through the rubble of the Novus Ordo after this nuclear holocaust of the Novus Ordo. They're finding their way back, and the marvel is... There are people who still have faith. They still have the faith. Um, after all of these all of these years of, on starvation rations, they still have kept the faith, and I consider that to be a miracle of grace. And uh, you know, I thank God for that. There are still many, many people out there, uh, even people who are. Um, struggling through the Novus Ordo liturgy, but many others have simply turned their backs on it and realized this is not my this is not the Catholic faith, so why am I going here anyway? But they don't know where else to go. There are so many such people out there who uh, um, kind of fit the description of our Lord's words on the Feast of Christ the King. Uh, he who he is of the truth heareth my voice that if they have a love for the truth and they still have a love for the faith, however deeply it may have receded into their hearts, uh, it's still there. And when they hear uh, that the true faith exists and is still being practiced as a true religion, it's as though something in them says, I must, I must go. Mm-hmm. You know, they hear that voice and it calls them. Uh, so I thank God for that. We have to pray for those folks, and that's another reason why we've got to keep what Catholics believe going strong and stronger. Um, 
And uh, that, that means that the viewership actually makes the contacts necessary to get uh, to bring the, the program before the eyes and the ears of those who need to hear. Mm -hmm. There are still those who have eyes to see and ears to hear. They need to let the program be seen and heard by these people. Sounds good. Thanks for being here tonight, Father. Appreciate oh, your time. Absolutely, Tom. Well, you're very welcome. Thank you. Yeah. Thanks to all of our viewers as well for watching this episode of What Catholics Believe. Until next time, we ask that you all remember the words of Our Lady of Fatima to consecrate yourselves and your families to the Immaculate Heart of Mary and to pray and do penance. Thank you and God bless you.